I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about their preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. David Simon's groundbreaking HBO series, The Wire, is widely regarded as one of the best TV shows of all time. Lawrence Gilliard Jr. moved from New York City to Baltimore at the age of seven. So when he got the call to read for the role of D'Angelo Barksdale, he felt more familiar with the world of the drama than most. We caught up with each other during a period of international lockdown to talk about the experience. So listen, let's get started, because one of the things I wanted to ask is, um, we're going to talk about D'Angelo in The Wire, but just to go back a little further, you trained as a classical musician, didn't you? I did, I did, as a clarinetist. I went to Juilliard as a classical clarinetist, and um, yeah, that was going to be my life, <laughs> you know? That was going to be my life. My, my whole vision and plan was to go to Juilliard and then straight from Juilliard get a job at the New York Philharmonic right across the street. <laughs> and what happened? Well, then um, I started going to all my drama productions in, in school <laughs> and I just got bitten by the bug, you know? And, and at that time, like music... Classic, classical music is a very structured thing, you know, um, and I started to feel like I couldn't express myself enough. Um, I couldn't be free enough, express myself enough through the music and through the clarinet. And eventually I started to get bored a little bit. And so I started looking for another outlet. And then I was like, you know, I always go to all my my drama productions. Maybe that means something. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I started Good. studying acting, and um, that was that, yeah. And I'm right also, because when you came out, when you, your first film was straight out of Brooklyn, is that right? Yeah. And was that the first time you'd been on a film set? Yeah. That was wow. the first time I'd been on a film set. And, you know, it was that, that was a very low-budget, independent, guerrilla film. A lot of people were learning on that film. It was a lot of people's first film, you know. So, uh, you know, it's one of those memories you, when you're young and you're doing that kind of thing, you're not really thinking about it. There's nothing to to compare it to or gauge it with. So you think that that's what it's about. That's what it is. It's about just trying to find a location that there are no cops around and you can jump out and shoot a scene <laughs> or going over to your best friend's grandmother's house to shoot in her kitchen. You know what I mean? You you think that yeah. that's what it, what it is. So that's that's what that was. And that's what we did. And we would just very fortunate that um 
you know, he, he uh, Matty Rich made a great, a good film, went to Sundance, won the special jury prize, and that was my foot in the door. Great. And then you did quite a lot of TV and film. I mean, you know, you worked with Scorsese on Gangs of New York. You did, you'd work with David Simon before on Homicide Life in the Streets as well, huh? Well, I did an episode of Homicide Life on the Streets, yeah, um, before The Wire. That So, yeah, I, I did that. I did a bunch of, like, episodic stuff. I did, uh, and then I did some film stuff too. And I thought I was going to do more uh, film stuff actually because I'd done Gangs of New York, like you said, and I did The Water Boy, and I did a few other uh, films. Yeah. And it, things looked like you know they were leaning more toward that, but then then The Wire hit, and then you know. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about The Wire. When did you first hear about The Wire? When did you first hear that it was there was something being made that that was happening? So what uh, I don't think a lot of people know is, so I'm originally from New York. Um, I was born in New York, but my mother is is originally from Baltimore. So when I was very young, my mom and dad split. And when they split, my mom moved back home to Baltimore and took me with her. And I was seven. Me and my sister. My sister was five. I was seven. So I lived in Baltimore for 10 years growing up in Baltimore. And I would go back and forth to New York to visit my father and all my family in New York. So it really, a part of me never felt like I left New York, but, um, but I did have an experience growing up in West Baltimore. So this is how close I was to actually what was happening, what the show, the wire was about. I played little league football for the team um, for the Lexington Terrace team, the Lexington Terrace is where the Barksdales were operating. Uh-huh. So I knew all like, you know, all those cats, the young ones, we play football together and, you know, and what I didn't know was at that time, David Simon was a homicide reporter at that time. So whenever anybody got killed, like in the terraces or something happened, David Simon was the one who wrote the story. <laughs> right? And I was just a kid. So I lived in Baltimore, in West Baltimore, um, in that area for 10 years. And then I went to college. And when I went to college, I moved back to New York and I stayed in New York. So when The Wire, you know, my life happened and then I switched to acting and then I get an agent and all this. And then my agent calls me one day. And he's like, David Simon's doing a, no sh- a show. And guess where this show's going to be? Where? Baltimore. And I'm like, what? He's like, yes, they're doing this new show. It's going to be in Baltimore. I'm sending you the script. So he sent me the pilot episode and I read it. And I was, I wasn't, I'll I'll be honest. I wasn't blown away by it. I was just um, really excited about it because I knew the streets. (laughs) Like I literally knew the street. I was like, I know that block. And I knew, and I could feel the characters. You know, I'm like, I grew up with this guy. I know this guy. I, you know, um, I could just feel it, it was a part of me who I was. So I read it and I was like, I got to be a part of this. I just got to be a part of it. And then I, um, you know, I prepared, I did my preparation. What is your preparation, though? Just tell me what your preparation is. Is it is it just it's not just learning the lines, is it? No. Well, a part of it is so the lines are very important to me. You know, I know some actors who they go into an audition and they ha- they hold the page, you know, and sometimes they don't give you enough time to be completely off book, you know. 
But um, for me personally, I like to try to be as off book as possible because then that way I feel like I can really play when I'm in the room and, you know, do different things and whatever, you know, when I'm in the room. So I was off book because I really wanted this part. So I made sure that I was off book um, when I do it. And also because the the character, that character, D'Angelo, because I had that experience, the experience growing up in Baltimore, it was very close to me. It was a personal thing. You know, it's very close to me. <clears throat> um, so I didn't have to reach very far for it. I didn't have to really, uh, like I could just drop into that character. <laughs> you know, that was one of the few characters that I could just drop into because most, most times for me personally, when I'm playing someone, I try to make it as different from me as possible. And I got to stay close to it so that I don't, you know, lose it. But with D'Angelo, I could just drop in and then I could drop out and tell a joke and be me and then drop back in, you know, because it was so close. But was the first first time you went in, did you meet David or did you meet the casting director or how does that go? So the very first audition, it was just me and casting director. Um, um, and I did my thing for her and then she brought me right back. The second audition was with David, um, Ed Burns. Um, oh, there's another producer whose name I can't, uh, Bob Colesbury, Bob Colesbury and, um, and the director who directed the pilot who I just saw him. He's an actor as well. And I just saw him. He's in, he's in that show adventures and babysitting that movie adventures and babysitting. He actually plays a part. They came one yesterday and I saw him and it was like, Oh, Clark Johnson. That's his name. Clark Johnson. He was directing it. So my second audition, which was the big audition was for those guys. And of course I was in a room with a whole bunch of other guys who I knew who was the same type who were going in for the same role. Right. And I just remember going in and doing exactly what I wanted to do in the, in the room as far as my audition. And then I remember David Simon and I had mutual friends, you know, like people that we both knew. And he like, do you know this person? I'm like, yeah, I do know this person. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you also know this person, right? I'm like, yes, I know that person. And then he finally comes around, you know this person? And I go, David, I'm sorry, I don't know that person. But you know what? I do know Baltimore like that. And then I kind of just shut the room down. They're like, oh, he knows the stuff. <laughs> and I didn't call it like I just said, Balt- I just said Baltimore. That's like more New York, like Baltimore. But when you're in like Baltimore, they would a Baltimorean would say Baltimore or Balmer or, you know. So I was like, I do know Baltimore like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, he, he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> but and are you. Because there's something that happens to you in uh, those auditions in America is you have to sign a contract before that interview. That's seven years, isn't it? Well, yeah. So you have to sign. I think it's, it's like five or six. They may have made it seven. I don't know. But it's like five or six years. You have to before your final audition. Yeah, they basically lock you in whether you get the part or not. They're like, you have to sign your contract. And you have to agree to whatever money you're going to make. You know, you have to agree to everything before the audition. So you can't, right, you can't have the audition and then like, we want you. And then you're like, okay, let's negotiate. No, you got to negotiate it first. And then you get to go and audition for it, which, you know, which sucks. But 
because I, I I don't think a lot of British actors uh, understand that at all. That's the that's the way it's done in America, and I don't think British actors understand that. How's it done there? So here we go. You get the job. They'll say we want you to do the job, and that's when you start negotiating. That's why I'm moving there because. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I did but, not know that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you negotiate first here, but you know, that's how they get you, you know. Go. So how did you hear that you got the part of D'Angelo? Oh, man, so I kind of felt it when I was there, right? Like, I could just tell that I they were into me. I knew it. Um, Clark Johnson, I think, asked me a few questions and, you know, about, Bal- about Baltimore, and um, I just kind of knew so when I left, it didn't take long, maybe a few hours, and my agent called and was like, yeah, they want you, you know, and, and, and it was awesome. I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and how long, how long between them saying you've got it to starting filming? How long have you got? Is it uh, a few months, like a, about a, a few months? Because, you know, there's still, I mean, there's a lot still to, you know, they, they have to cast the whole thing, number one. So there's a lot of casting to be done. But number two, you know how they have uh, a makeup test and wardrobe test and, you know, they have to do all the locations. Like they do a lot of stuff before you actually go in. So it was like about, I'd say about maybe two months or so, something like that before we actually started shooting. Okay. And you're, you're, and you're only gearing up for the pilot because you haven't read the season, have you? You're just going to do the pilot. Just going to shoot the pilot and see if it gets picked up. Right. And that's it. So, so... So finding the cat because I know you grew up in Baltimore, but where your life, you know, with your mom was very different to D'Angelo's life, wasn't it? I mean, and I know you knew guys like D'Angelo. Right. But are you going and looking at the locations? Are you getting more in-depth or is it all coming out of your imagination with people that you used to know? So most of it was coming out of my imagination from people I used to know. And I didn't have to use much imagination because I knew so many guys like that, you know, so many cats who were like all of the, all of the, the whole Barksdale crew. Um, I knew guys who I grew up with them, with those guys. Right. So, and I'd say, you know, if I had to say that I was one of those characters, um, you know, I'd probably be like, I'd say that I was Wallace, you know, like I was probably the Wallace of the crew. But what what's wonderful about your portrayal, I think, is that when you're with Wallace and Bodie, then you have a you have a gravitas because you are you know the leader of that group. But it's when you're with Avon and Stringer that you suddenly become a child. You know, you're a man child in those scenes. Uh, and that's what's really because it is about hierarchy, isn't it? The whole uh, world, not just your world, but the world of the wire is about hierarchies. And it's about how the court creates the kit, how you react to Avon, how you react to Stringer. And you pull that off brilliantly. Well, is the rehearsal or are you just coming in with that? It, does David direct you in that way or do you just is that what you're taking to the set with you every day? Well, there's a, it's a, a little bit of everything, you know, you're bringing it to set, you know, who you're, who you're, who you're working with, who your character is working, you know, is going to be working with in the scenes on that day. And you know, the relationships that you have with 
each character, the relationships your character has with each character. You know, Avon's your uncle. You know what I mean? And Avon, you know, there's a lot of power in that that character, you know, uh, Avon. And um, D'Angelo is, you know, he, he wants to do good for his uncle and for his family. <clears throat> um, and so he's going to try his hardest to do that. But as you know, from the show and watching the show, it's just not D'Angelo's just not made for that life. You know what I mean? But D'Angelo tries hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> um, yeah. He tries hard. And he gets his eyes open. He gets his eyes open to the world, doesn't he? Yes, 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 yes. But there's, there's something, again, there's something that happens that you do. And sometimes actors can let their own personal ego get in the way of what they're performing. So they sometimes, you know, if they have to play low status or middle status, so they'll, they'll fight it with their own ego. And that's, that's something one has to watch as an actor and be careful about, isn't it? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally, I'm always about trying to bring justice to the characters, trying to do my character justice, because I know that there's someone out in the world who is living that experience. You know what I mean? And so I want to try to do my best to bring that character justice. And in doing that, bringing that character justice, I can't allow any of my ego to get involved in that. That's how I approach it. You know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I can't allow my ego to get in the way of that person, you know, that character, because then it'll be false. And there's someone in the world who is living that experience and they'll pick it up. They'll go, that's false. That, that, I'd never do that. Or he'd never say that. Or I would never. You know what I mean? So that's why. So that's what I do personally to not get in the way of, you know, my character and getting in the way of myself, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just, and get, and also get in the way of the, get in the way of the truth sometimes, the truth. isn't it? It's Absolutely. like, you know, this is the truth of the scene. It, you know, it makes me look a little weak, but actually it doesn't make me look weak. It's just, I'm it's playing, I'm telling the story. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm telling the story of this character, of this person. When you come to the understanding and you think, and you, you understand that the person you're portraying, actually exists in the world like somebody is going through that in some way right and it doesn't matter what it is you could be in the future that's why that's why we love you know movies and tv because we relate on a certain level to some character it doesn't matter if they're in the future or if they're in the past there's a character in that if we like it there's a character in there that we are attracted to that we connect with that we you know what i mean there's something in that that's that we're like, okay, I get that because I'm living it or I've lived it or I understand, you know what I mean? So understanding that will help you to get rid of your, that ego or that thing that gets in the way of the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's really important because sometimes you, I see actors fighting their own ego that's getting in the way of them telling the truth of the story. Oh my gosh, you see it on set, especially all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Let me just walk you back a little bit because we talked about uh, in that two month period where you're uh, from when you've got the job, to, 
to when you start shooting, you've got your wardrobe test and stuff. How much input do you, as your, as Lawrence, how much input do you have in, in your look, in the way that your character looks? I get a lot. I get a lot of input into the characters. I mean, of course, it's a collaboration. You know, it's a collaborative thing with you and either and the wardrobe person, the costumer, or you and the hair and makeup team, you know. But they do. I always bring ideas in, and I always... Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's important to me, and I love period pieces like the, you know, like the Deuce, and um, but it's important to me because you know when you start to add those layers, that's you at building the character, and it helps you to it helps you to drop into that character. So, a part of my technique is when I'm putting like when I'm in my trailer or my dressing room, and I'm putting on my wardrobe. You know, I'm doing it in the mirror and I'm watching myself become that person and and losing Lawrence. Because, oh, but also D'Angelo had these, like, it had like a knitworth thing which was happening with a high neck, which made him very different to everybody else. And I love that. Was that your choice or was that costume? No, I think that was mostly... You know, it's it's a, collabor a collaboration. You know, you go in and you try things and you're like, you just know. Sometimes you see, you just see it on. You're like, that's that's it. That's right. That's the look, you know. And then you, you go in that direction. Um, you find things that, you know, that go along, like the leather jackets and the, <laughs> you know, and the, and the, the high necks and, <clears throat> and the hats even. Um, and... And when you got a good uh, costumer, a good wardrobe, you know, uh, person, they 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 just know what to do. Like they just know how to put it together, how to put the wardrobe together and build the closet, which they call it. You know, how to build that closet so that it all works. Um, so, but yeah, and as you've as you've got more experience, are you able to sort of? Uh, I mean, I know I I have felt your voice is um, e easier to express when it comes to terms like that, where you're saying, I don't think this guy's going to wear this. I don't think this is right. I've brought this in. I've, you know, it's, it's being able to get your voice creatively. I mean, I know the book stops with probably David Simon on the wire, oh, yeah. but do you feel like you're, you're able to express yourself more now? Yeah. And that's something that you said, like you just said, with experience, you learn how to, you learn how to do that and you learn that it's OK to do that, you know, and, and, and you also learn how to you, experience is everything. You know, you learn when to fight for something and when, you know, when the buck stops, you know, <laughs> you're like, OK, they get the final word. And I got to what I have to do is go with that. And, you know, if when you're fortunate and you're lucky, everybody's on the same page and everybody's loving your idea and. You know, we all have the same idea. But then there's those times where you're like, all right, I have to justify why they want me to wear this pink hat. <laughs> and they'll tell you like you like there have been moments where David Simon has said to me, you know, you have to say a line like this or you have to do this this way because it plays into something that's coming later. And I don't know it. I don't know what that is. But I have to make it make sense for me because it's going to play later in some way. You know what I mean? We'll be back with more chat after this. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. So that brings me to this other point that a lot of the time in those television shows, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what the arc of our character is. We don't know, you know, whether we live or die. I mean, a bit like our own life, you know. But so the creative choices you're making are, you know, you're doing them right in the moment rather than having the arc, aren't you? Yeah, you're doing them right. Yeah. <laughs> Because we don't know, you know, we don't, we don't know, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah, you kind of, you're, 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 you're kind of, you know, it's like an improv sort of kind of thing. Like you kind of, you just have to try to, and that's what, you know, that's what a good actor can do. That's what a good, well-trained, you know, or just a talented, well-trained actor can do. They can, in those moments, just, you know, put it together, justify it make themselves believe it so that they make you believe. You know what I mean? Um, I do have an issue with the whole... Exactly. I mean... I have an issue with the whole, you know, when characters die and and not... and and producers and writers and not telling actors about when their characters are going to die. I do have a really serious issue with that. And I've heard directors and producers and people just try, try to justify it to me, but there's really no justification for not letting an actor know that the character isn't going to, you know, is going to die and giving that character, giving that actor enough time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because an actor has a life. And often, often, often in uh, those television shows, your character will die, but you're not allowed to announce it or do anything else or get another job until that character has died on the TV. Right. Because there's so much secrecy around it. Exactly. Which I don't think, you know, the, so two things. One, speaking to that, like the idea about not announcing it on TV because there's so much secrecy. It's because they make, they've made the act, they've made the audience more important than the actor. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And the, the issue with that is, okay, if I know that if I'm watching a show that I love and I know that there's a character on the show that's going to die, right? If I know that they're going to die, <clears throat> is it going to stop me from watching the show? No. Number one, I want to see how that character is, what's going to happen to my favorite character or whatever, but I'm a fan of the show. So in knowing that it's not going to make me not want to see what's continue watching the show or see what's going to happen on the show. Not at all. You know what I mean? <clears throat> it's, sure, there's going to be, if I don't know, maybe a little more shock and value and I'm going to be sadder. It's going to hit me harder and hurt. But, you know, even knowing that it's coming, I'm going to have the same reaction. You know what I mean? So there's really no reason to not tell an actor or and allow an actor to express it. So coming back to the... Come, Coming back to the why, you've done your pilot. Yeah. It's finished. It's done. Then you have to wait, do you, before you go to season? Yeah. Yeah, before you go to season, you said? How, yeah, yeah, how long? How long do you have to wait? You know, I don't... That, I don't remember how long we waited. Um, I don't think it was very long because uh, David Simon had already done The Corner and he already had a, a hit with The Corner and so they trusted him and they had faith in him, you know, and he was talking about Baltimore and, you know, and, and Ed Burns, who was the co-creator of the um, of the wire. He was a homicide detective. And that's why he and David knew each other. And they, they wrote um, Homicide Life on the Street. And then, you know, and then the wire, because they worked closely together when David was a reporter. But I'll say this. Once we did go to series, and we started shooting, shooting the show and I started reading the episodes and the other episodes. I was like, this show is not going to last. It was like no other show I had written. I mean, I had not written no other show I had read. Right. It was like no other show I had read. It was being directed like no other show that I was on. It wasn't the normal television, you know, Be and it, it's because they weren't directing or writing for entertainment. You know, David Simon and Ed Burns and George Pelicanos. They don't write for entertainment. They write for education. You know, they write to teach us something. <laughs> they write to point a finger at something and say, hey, there's a problem with this. We need to do something about it. You know, <clears throat> they're not necessarily writing to get to the punchline, writing to get to, you know, the, the big um, reveal or to get to the, you know, um, 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 the cliffhanger or whatever. They're not writing for that. So when you're reading it, you're like, it's it's almost like it's going in real time. <laughs> it's almost like it feels like it's moving in real time. And you're like, oh my God, this is so boring. This thing is going to be, you know, we may get one season out of it and then they're dropping this. That's what I felt, right? In the first couple episodes. And then midway through it was like something just hit me, just came upon us. And we were like, this is something different. This is something special. We, we, just, we, I think it just came over the whole cast and crew all at once almost. They were like, this is something special. And I remember doing an interview around that time, like midway through, um, I don't know if it was with HBO or one of the um, Entertainment Tonight or someone, I was doing an interview on set. And they were like, what do you think The Wire is going to be, you know, <clears throat> in years from now? And I said, you know, I think The Wire is going to be one of those amazing shows, one of the best shows that were, was on television that nobody watched while it was on. God, yeah, well, it's sort of true. And that's sort of what you know? it became. <laughs> uh, 
And on the wire, was David and Ed or David or Ed, were they on set all the time? Yeah, they were on set a lot. They were on set. And what they would like to do, like, is David, and then there's Nina Noble, who's producer, and, and Ed Burns, and George Pelicanos, and, and at the time, Barry, uh, um, Barb Colesbury, who, God rest him, um, he would be there. And they tag team, so they're not all on set all the time, but one of them is there to represent, you know, and talking of which, tell me about working on location. Well, yeah, you know, when you're in neighborhoods, people aren't going to stop. They don't want to stop their routines just because there's a film crew there, you know. And so we're imposing on their routines. <laughs> you know what I mean? And most people, they're excited during the day time. They're excited during the day because they get to watch actors act. And, you know, oh, my God, it's, it's, they feel like they're a part of what's going on. They're part of Hollywood. And, <clears throat> you know, in a sense, and that's, as we all know, like Hollywood is magical, you know, TV is magical, movies and film, it's magical. Um, and so feeling like you're a part of that, it's, it's amazing. And when you're in a neighborhood, most, most times, most people want to cooperate, cooperate. Every now and then you'll get somebody driving by waving a gun out the window because they're like, you know, I'm the real deal. I can, <laughs> you know, if you if you really want to see the truth, you know, put me in it. And how do you keep your concentration through that? How do you keep your, uh, how do you not become distracted from what you want to do in those situations? Well, when you're in an actual community and you're playing that you're in that community, then that's a part of that community. So unless the person is really interrupting, being disruptive to the scene, <laughs> unless a person is being disruptive to the scene it's a part of it you know it's a part of that world so you just stay in it and you just keep going um because you can only you know when they when they call out lock lock it up and you know rolling and all that there's only so much you can control the crowd you know the crowd who's watching <clears throat> um they're free to do whatever they want um but there are moments like there were there <laughs> There are moments where there's a, this one moment in particular that just jumped out of my head when I was actually on the deuce and we're shooting the scene on the deuce and these guys are driving by in this truck and they're yelling out the window, D'Angelo! <laughs> That's that dude that from the wire! It. That's the dude from the wire, yo! D'Angelo! Right? And then it's just like, cut, we can't use that. <laughs> And we all know there's lots of hanging around on a film set that, you know, you're, you're hanging around for. How do you look after this? You said on the deuce, you've got your, your music that you're listening to or whatever. How do you look after yourself and your energy to make sure that you're right, ready for when we're going? I mean, they're long days, aren't they? I mean, how do you protect yourself and your energy on a, on a long day on a film set hanging around? When you inhabit your character, when that character, you know... Me personally, when I when I inhabit my character, it never goes far. I make sure that it never goes far. So let's say I'm doing, you know, I mean, it's, we're in between scenes. I'll stick mostly with the other actors. Like I'll hang out with the other actors in that scene and we'll talk about whatever. Now, someone may, you know, let's say that someone is walking through, like who lives in the neighborhood, they're walking through. And they want to start talk to me and have a conversation with me. 
I can only, I can't really do that. Like, I can't really have that conversation with them. I may say a little something, you know, thank you. You know, oh man, we love you. We love you. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate that, you know. And then I'm going to, I'm going to have to, in some way, let that go and get, because I can't get drawn into that. You know what I mean? So I, I hold my, I hold my character close to who I am. Now there's some actors who, like speaking of Gangs of New York, like Leonardo DiCaprio would jump in and out of character, you know, but Daniel Day-Lewis, we all know, <laughs> you know, would just yeah, be, yeah. and I'm somewhere in between. Like, I'm not going to ignore a person, you know, but I'm not going to be drawn into their energy. Talking about going there, so you get in this in your two seasons in the way you get big speeches you get you know david's not frightened to write for you you get really great speeches yeah. you you your character has a a moral center he's a guy who's you know he's he's being taught by avon and uh, stringer but he's also teach he's passing stuff down to those guys as well when you've got those scenes and you know the great scenes like Wurz wallace and stuff like that what, how do you prepare for that? Say the night before, are you are you running the lines again and again and again? Are you doing them in the mirror? Are you doing them with friends? Or are you waiting till the day itself? Or how do you, how do you yourself work yourself into the right space for the right time? So, like I said, I like to be off book, right? So I like to know. And there's some actors, as you know, who learn it on set. You know, they'll get there. They like they might read the script before they go to work and then they go to work on the actual day. And then they're like, Hammy, what am I saying today? Oh, OK. And then they just, you know, that's what they, I I'm depending on what it is. I'm not like that. Like, I need to learn it as much as possible, work it out as much as possible. So, yeah, the night before, usually I do it the night before, depending on what it is. I may start the two days before on learning it and making sure I understand everything that's going on in the scene. But also, as you know, you're in a scene, you're working with other actors and you don't know what they're going to do. You know, you have no idea what they're going to do. So you might be reading a scene and you're like, OK, that person, you know, that character is angry in this moment. <clears throat> How do people express anger? They're going to be yelling and they're going to be screaming. And you may get up there with the actor and the other actor is doing it very quietly, you know, <laughs> because they they express their anger in a different way. They control it and you can tell they're angry in there, but it's more, you know, that's going to adjust. That's going to make an adjustment in you. So I don't try to make too many specific, you know, um, 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 uh, I don't try to do I don't try to add too many specifics to what I'm going to physically do, you know, um, physically in the space or just physically in myself, um, what I'm going to do. All I try to do is learn the lines and make sure I have an understanding of what we're trying to say, what the story is trying to tell from the beginning of the scene to the end of the scene. And then and then the rest is me collaborating on that day in, in that scene with the other actors and seeing what they're doing. Because, as you know, for me, 90 percent of acting is listening. Right. It's listening and reacting. So I'm doing it and I'm putting my attention on you and then I'm reacting to what you do. And when you do that, 
that's when magic happens. It's really not you con- trying to control what you're doing and what the, you know, it's you letting go. And when you, when you can do that, when you can let go enough and just trust enough to let go of yourself and put it on, put your attention on everything else that's happening. And that's when the magic happens, you know, that's when the real magic happens because that's when you let go and you're really in that moment and then it can be true. You know, someone asked me that one time, um, an actress, she came she was like, how do you do that? How, how is it so real? How do you make it so real? And I'm like, I listen and <laughs> I observe and I react. That's it. That's it. I listen to what's say, being said to me and then I answer the question genuinely. Can I ask you, do you watch yourself on the day? Would you watch the monitor? Would you see the playback of, of the scenes? Um, early on in my career, I didn't so much watch it. Um, now, depending on how I feel when I'm in the scene, um, I'll, I'll watch it and see. Um, it's all a feeling, as you know. And as you said, like with more um, experience, you know how you feel at the end of a scene. You know, if you told the story and if you were true and if there's something that you feel like you may be able to do differently or better, not better, but just differently, you know. Um, So, yeah, some there there are those moments, but it's rare when I look at the monitor. Most times I've learned how to because I'm I'm not one of those actors that I'll do a take a hundred times. I'll do I'll do it. I'll do one take. I'll keep going. Um, I had to learn how to trust the director and trust the other people around me to say, yes, we've got it. It's, it's fine. You know, we've got it. And so it's very rare that I'll go and look at the monitor and, and see what's, what's going on. And even like, as far as me watching myself work, I'll watch something once. (laughs) And that's about all I can bear. Like I'll watch it once. And then I've never like the wire. I haven't seen it since it came on television. I, we, we did a, we did a, uh, it was me and they invited a couple other actors and we did a panel and they showed some scenes from the movie before the panel. I mean, they showed some scenes from the show before the panel and I hadn't seen those scenes in years and years. And it was like, I was watching it brand new (laughs) and I was like, Oh, Oh, that's what I did. Oh, wow. Wow. That's what I said. It, you know. So I have a I have a hard time watching myself because I you know I pick myself apart. I'm like oh, damn it. I mean now when I came out I came through theater. So now I know they have a lot of film courses where you can you know work with cameras and you know doing more of that stuff. So you're a little more prepared when you get out into the into the world. But coming from theater is such a different thing being in front of the camera and being on stage. You know what I mean. <laughs> So it is important, I think, you know, for young actors to look at the monitor and watch and see what they're doing. And and I, you know, when I'm working with a young, it's funny because when I'm working with a young actor, and they're, they're, I love it because they have so many questions. They're all, well, what is this? And what's that? And what is this doing? Blah, blah, blah. I say to them, hey, let's walk over to the monitor and look and watch it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's important. Um, the Wire was obviously a huge success. It was brilliantly written. 
So that does one thing to your career is it gives you a profile and stuff like that. But also, did it make it harder because, you know, The Wire and shows like that are rare. That type of writing is rare. So was it hard for you then to choose work after that, which was either less well-written or, or whatever? Was that difficult? So hard. So, so it was so hard, yeah. So for like, I don't know. I'll just say this. After doing a show like that, I was so spoiled with the writing that I think I passed on like, for like a half a year or something, I just passed on everything I read. <laughs> I was just like, this sucks. This su-. I, I was just like, no. It, 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 what it does is it, uh, it sort of like, you know, awakens you to just how bad some of this stuff, the entertainment is, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, this is what. But then what I had to do to start working again was realize this is what, this is 90% of what it is. Like this is what most of television is. Most of what films are. And this is what I was doing before The Wire. So I have to, you know, I got to work. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to eat. <laughs> so, so I got to lock back it into you, it. It makes you appreciate good writing when it comes along. Though, it? Dude, it's like, you know, that's what we want, right? That's what we all want. We all want quality material. We all want the best quality material and we all want to be working with quality performers and, you know, directors. And so that's what we want. So when it comes around, but that's the diamond in the rough, right? You know, that's that, that special, that's when all the stars align in the universe (laughs) and that's rare. So when you get that opportunity, you lock onto it and you try to just experience everything that's happening in that moment because it's so rare. And I'll tell you, when The Wire, when it first came on, I mean, it came out and we were doing it, we were shooting it, we didn't know that. Like, we didn't, some knew it, some knew it, but a lot of us didn't know it, you know. So, listen, I've got one last question for you, and it's to do with the fact that, you know, which I think is the thing that we all encounter, and it's to do with the knockbacks. It's to do when you don't get the part that you're going for, it's to do with like a bad review. It's to do with someone saying something that knocks your confidence, whatever that is. That's part, that's a big part of being an actor. How, how do you deal with that when, you know, you really want something and you don't get it or you read a review of something and it's knocking you? How do you deal with those things? Well, it's hard. Um, someone said to me once, a very wise person, They said, what is for you is for you. And what is for someone else is for someone else. You can't have what's for someone else. (laughs) That's just how it is. My job is to do the best job that I can when I go into audition. That's all I can do. I try to have fun when I'm preparing for the audition and then have fun when I go into the audition because that's all I have control over, right? If I get the part, that's great. Then I can do more and have more fun. Lawrence, that's great. It's been so wonderful speaking to you, my friend. It's just great. And thank you for joining us today. Of course, man. Thank you so much for inviting me. Love you, bro. You know it, man. I hope we get to do something together soon. That would be awesome. Who am I this time? 
is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan, music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg and presented by me, David Morrissey.